Welcome to another episode of Numa, for whose rather somber title and unhappy theme I must apologize in advance. I'll admit, in the process of composing this episode, as I reflected on two instances of unspeakable carnage, heartache, and death around which I struggle to wrap my head, I was terribly, painfully conflicted. On this podcast, as you know, I tend not to engage with topics of such imponderable, unbearable weight. I try, rather, to revivify, to awaken the ancient wisdom of the Stoics, to shine light new light, fresh light, on the unseen brilliance of the great poets, and to give you millennia of precepts and lessons in just a few minutes' time, with which you can go about your day and from which you can profit. Yet, On this occasion, my heart is heavy with sadness, my spirit laden with despair, my eyes brimmed with tears, my throat choked with pain, and there's no lighter theme about which I can think, write, or talk. And so, with that, What follows is my meditation, my personal reflection on two mass shootings that occurred in as many weeks. If you want more details on these shootings, or you're perhaps listening to this episode at some future date, visit my sister podcast, Finnerin's Wake, on which... With more thoroughness, I address these and many similar topics. With that, I'll ask you to find a position, any position, in which you're comfortable. You can be seated in a chair or on the ground. You can be lying down or standing up. We'll begin by centering ourselves and reconnecting with our breath, our pneuma. With a hand placed just below your sternum and your ribs, the point at which your diaphragm inflates, take a deep breath. Feel the expansion 
of your upper abdomen. Fill the rest of your belly. And when it's at its fullest, let the breath go. Repeat this three times. Loosen your body of its tension. Unclench your jaw. Unfurrow your brow. Let your eyes gaze gently. Allow your shoulders to fall. Straighten your back. Monitor your breathing and open your heart. Every life, says Seneca, without exception, is a short one. Hmm. How true this is. We think it long. No, more than that. We think it everlasting. But we are wrong. Deep down, we know we're wrong. Our time on this planet, on which we're but tenants, upon whose soil we stand with temporary feet is very brief. Maybe, if we are lucky, eight decades will endure us, after which our common end awaits, beyond which our lease can't be extended. Like a lamp, Seneca observes, we too are lit and put out. We suffer somewhat in the intervening period, but at either end of it there is a deep tranquility. Death, nothingness, precedes as well as succeeds. Death is all there was before us, and all that there is after us. In some ways I hope this far-seeing stoic, this pagan eschatologist is right. I share the hope that a deep Tranquility does, in fact, await us. 
whether or not it's embedded in a state of nothingness, as he confidently asserts. I've neither the experience nor the credentials to say. But what solace does this give us when, in the course of two consecutive weeks, we've witnessed the loss of so much innocent life? If nothing else, it's a reminder. Of what? Of this brief, all too brief candle, to whose fading flicker and dimming glow we give the delicate name Life. Every life, without exception, is a short one. But those taken these past two weeks were far, far too short. When tragedies, such as those by which Uvalde, Texas, or Buffalo, New York were visited, occur, I employ a technique that I've dubbed extreme empathy. As far as my emotions will allow, I try to place myself in the unfortunate setting, among the people to whom the misfortune happened. It's neither an easy nor a comfortable practice, I assure you. For example, I put myself in, or close to, the mind of the killer. Evil though he is, he too is human. He too, in the words of Shakespeare's Shylock, has hands, dimensions, senses, affections, and passions, perhaps severely warped, perhaps irrevocably damaged, perhaps even wicked beyond description, but not originally unlike my own. He too eats food, is afflicted by disease, and is warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as I am. Is this from the mouth of the miserly Venetian Jew, not an echo of another Jew, Jesus. In 
in the Gospel of Matthew, he's recorded as having said, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. The same sun warms our skin, the same rain wets us, the same snow chills us. A common humanity joins us, ultimately. I think of the killer's lost innocence. He was not always that into which he turned. Though himself only 18 years of age, he too was once a child, indeed not so very long ago. There was a time his heart was pure, his life unblemished, his future unwritten. What happened? Was he mistreated? Was he unloved? Was he friendless, godless, hopeless? I don't know. What's clear is that something in him turned rotten. Something turned murderous, foul, and brutal. But it wasn't always so. I wonder if he hesitated when the frightened eyes of his victims returned his gaze. Or was he, at that point, so overcome by rage, so consumed by savagery? So lost that no glimmer of humanity could make him think twice. I think of the children in that classroom, of whom 19 were killed. About them, what can be said? Hardly 10 years of age. What lofty aspirations swelled in their breasts? Toward what grand designs were their futures directed? What playful songs strummed in their carefree heads? What pleasing riddles and jokes slipped through their winsome smiles? How tightly did they squeeze their mothers that morning? 
their siblings, their father. How will the survivors unsee what they saw? How will they grapple with a lifetime of trauma? As for the 10 victims in Buffalo, I ask these same questions. I try to enter the mind of the fourth grade children, of the unsuspecting teachers at the head of the class, of the killer by whom they were so savagely struck down. I try to inhabit their lives for a moment. I try to understand the human condition from every light, from its darkest corner to its most luminous height. This is my practice of extreme empathy. I can assure you it's not endorsed by the Stoics. And while I can't sanction its universal prescription, it's a powerful tool to employ when tragedy strikes in whatever form. I leave you with this, an excerpt from a poem by the 19th century English writer, Charles Lamb, a lifelong friend of Samuel Taylor Coleridge and a man afflicted by great suffering in his own right. The poem is called On an Infant Dying as Soon as Born. In part, it goes as follows. The economy of heaven is dark, and wisest clerks have missed the mark. Why human buds like this should fall, more brief than fly ephemeral that has his day. While shriveled crones stiffen with age to stocks and stones, In crabbed use the conscience sears in sinners of a hundred years, Mothers prattle, mothers kiss, Baby fond, thou never wilt miss. So soon, 
to exchange the imprisoning womb for darker closets of the tomb. So soon, every life without exception is a short one indeed. My deepest condolences extend to the families of the slain, to the deceased. May you enjoy a deep tranquility in the life or the nothingness to come. Farewell from Numa. <laughs>